So I had a little bit of time this week, opportunity to spend with Jake, who gave the children's sermon. Jake, um, yesterday at cross country, he had a personal best record. He ran a two a two mile race in what was it, fifteen something? Fifteen twenty four. Thank you for yes. Let's be exact. That was his personal best, and you—that's that's moving it. That's that's running pretty good. And you wouldn't have think that that was possible a couple months ago. I remember sitting at CIY with his sister Abby, and she got a text from Julie, and she passed it around the group shortly thereafter. But it was a it was a, a picture of Jake's injury. Jake was running in late July, practicing cross country, and he ran into a hole, and there was a storm drain in front of in front of it, and he gashed his shin horribly. The picture, if you remember seeing it, was gruesome. You know, blood, flesh, a little bit of bone you could see in the picture. And as Abby passed it around, the reaction to it for everybody was, ooh, gross, ooh, yuck, look at that picture. And, and what would your reaction be, you know, if you were there looking at that picture? Does, does blood gross you out? Today, let's look at how does God, or think about how does God view blood? How does God View blood. You know, because the history of our religion, Christianity is a very bloody religion. There's blood found throughout the whole Bible, is there not? I mean, let's go to the very first, the beginning, in Genesis. Adam sins and what? Discovers his nakedness. What happens? An animal is killed. Blood is shed. An innocent animal, innocent blood is shed so God can make clothes and cover Adam. And think about that in light of this verse in Hebrews 9.22b. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. As we progress, we get to Egypt and the Israelites and their slavery, their bondage. And we read about that the last plague, the death angel or destroyer was released to kill the firstborn, of every, firstborn male of every household. Except... It would pass over the Israelites' household. Remember what they had to do? They had to take a lamb without blemish, spotless, pure, kill it, take the blood of the lamb, put on their doors, post across the beam of the door, and then the death angel would pass over and see that blood and pass over and they would be saved. The firstborn of that household would be saved. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. When Moses finished the process of receiving the commandments and the ordinances from God in Exodus 24, he came down off the mountain, he built an altar, 12 pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and upon that altar he sacrificed young bulls as a peace offering to God. Why? Because without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. And we read on and on throughout the Old Testament. Countless animals are sacrificed as instructed by the Lord. Thousands. And they're just a type. They're a foreshadow of the one great sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus will shed his blood for us. Why did Jesus have to shed his blood? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There's nothing more precious and powerful than the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1.18, we read, We're redeemed by the precious blood, the blood of Christ. Romans 3.25, we have atonement for our sins in his blood. Romans 5.9, we've been justified by his blood. 
Ephesians 1, 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 2, 13, we're brought near to God through the blood of Christ. Colossians 1, 20, Christ made peace through his blood on the cross. Hebrews 9, 14, the blood of Christ will cleanse your conscience. Hebrews 10, 19, we enter the holy place through his blood. 1 Peter 1, 2, we've been sprinkled by his blood. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1, 5, Jesus released us from our sins by his blood. Every aspect of salvation that we just read is accomplished through the blood of Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 9, we learn that we're saved by the blood of Jesus given at his death. Let's think about that a little bit. It wasn't the blood of Jesus as a little boy when he was circumcised and shed some blood. That blood doesn't save us. That blood didn't have atoning power. Or the blood of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat drops of blood. That blood doesn't save us or have atoning power. The blood of Jesus as he was walking in the day with his sandals and might have cut his foot on something. We don't read in the Bible where that blood has atoning power. What we read is that it was the blood that was shed at his death on the cross when he bore our punishments for our sins. It was when our sin debt was transferred over to the Lord Jesus Christ. When he's lifted up and gave himself to death for us. It was that shedding of blood. That provides the atonement for our sins. So, as you look at this larger chapter in Hebrews chapter 9, this larger section in chapter 9, possibly on your own time because we don't have time today to cover it all. But you'll notice in Hebrews chapter 9 from 12 to 22, every verse has the word death or blood in it. Every word in that. It could be referring to the old covenant, the blood of those animal sacrifices we talked about. Or it could be referring to the blood of Jesus under the New Covenant. But this is a section in Scripture that talks more about the blood of Jesus, more about the death of Jesus in one block than any other that I've found. And in verse 15, the verse we're going to study today, the word we read is death. And it refers to the death of Jesus Christ. So let's begin. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Let's just stop there for a second. For this reason, you'll read back in 13, 14, 12, 13, and 14, he's pulling forward a theme here. He talks about the sufficiency of the blood of Christ, the superiority of the blood of Christ compared to those animal sacrifices. And he's talking about the power of the blood of Christ, and he's pulling this forward, the power of the blood, and he says, the power of the blood for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that's the first point to pull out. Mediator. What is a mediator? Do you know what a mediator is, what a mediator does? A mediator stands in the middle of two parties that are at disagreement with one another. They're at odds with one another. They're at variance with one another. And the mediator stands right in the middle, and he tries to bring the two parties together for a peaceful resolution. A mediator is kind of like a go-between. He goes between the two parties until there's reconciliation. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Over here is God, Jesus in the middle, us, man. A holy God, righteous, pure, 
Every right to judge, every right to be angry when he wants to be angry. Holy, perfect God. Jesus, us, sinful, yucky at times, man. Right? And Jesus brought us together through the blood he shed on the cross. Now, a couple of thoughts of this mediation. Let's, let's think through today together. I think it would be wrong for us to think that Jesus initiated this on his own, that when looking at this example, that, that God is over here and he's unwilling to go help us and save us, that we know that we're over here and at times we all have, let's be honest, at times we all have turned our back on God in one way or another. We've all sinned. So we know we're over here, but don't think that God is over here like this also. Or don't think that Jesus had to come and and pull God to man. That Jesus almost had to take God the Father, who's angry and all this, he'd he'd take God the Father and pull him over here towards him. That'd be wrong thinking. That would be wrong thinking. This covenant of which Christ is the mediator, this new covenant, it was designed by God the Father. It was initiated by God the Father. And all eternity passed. We... We see evidence, evidence of this in the previous chapter in Hebrews. Let's read that together. Hebrews chapter 8, starting at verse 8. <clears throat> For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Going down to verse 12. And I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I know I emphasize the word I there, but who's the author of this new covenant where Jesus is the mediator? You know, who's the architect behind it? As we read there, it's God the Father. That God so demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the first idea about this mediation that took place. And the second thing is that as a mediator, one must be equitable to both sides. This mediator must be fair to both sides so they can pull them together. Nobody would have an unfair advantage. It would be impartial. So, for example, let's just say that there's a husband here today. And let's just say that his name might or might not be Mark. Okay? And let's say that this husband thought it was a great idea to put in the cupboard where the bowls and the plates are and all the dishes a box of cereal right there, too. Because in that husband's eyes, it made sense that if I, you know, why make all these trips around the kitchen and why open up all these different doors? You know, let's just go and if there's a bowl and a box of cereal, it's just as more efficient, right? So, but let's say that there's a wife in the room and her name might or might not be named Tina. And let's just say that she thought that was a horrible idea and that was tacky and unheard of and that was not going to stand. Well, if we let that situation get out of control, that disagreement, we might need to find a mediator to help pull us together from 
our disagreement. And if that was the case, I probably wouldn't want Tina to come here and pick one of you, her good friends from church, to be the mediator. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't want that. Because then I'm thinking, unfair, I'm definitely going to lose this. The mediator has to be fair and impartial. By the way, right now, if you go look at my cupboard, there is no cereal by any bowl whatsoever. All right. So it was solved without a mediator. Um, but this mediator must be fair. Jesus, being man but 100% God, accomplishes this. As being 100% God, he can represent God to man through his mediation in the middle. And being 100% man, he can represent us to God. He becomes this perfect, impartial mediator through his incarnation, through the virgin birth, where God becomes man. And this mediation we're talking about through Christ, I want us to realize this morning that um, he has complete authority in this mediation, that that through his shed blood, he has 100% authority, that there's no other way that God comes to man in regards to salvation. There's no other way except right through this person in the middle. And there's no other way that man goes to God except that one person. He has complete authority to do so. In Matthew 11:27, we read this. All things, all things, everything, Jesus says, has been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. All authority has been given to Christ. We as human beings, we don't have the option of appointing Buddha to be our mediator. We as human beings do not have the option of appointing Brigham Young to be our mediator. We as humans don't have the option of appointing Muhammad to be our mediator before God. We don't have the option of appointing ourselves, and boy, do a lot of people in the world think they will, someday go before God and appoint themselves, and they say, I'm basically a good person, I was pretty good, you should let me into heaven. You can't even appoint yourself to be the mediator before God. No, there's only one who has the authority to be our mediator, and it's the Son It's Jesus, our Lord. It's Jesus Christ. He alone can represent us before the Father. And he did so by the cross, through the power of his shed blood. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The cost. What what did it cost Jesus to be this exclusive mediator between man and God? Cost him his life, his death, his blood that we've talked about earlier. Interesting passage to look at in, in, in Luke twenty two twenty. This is the Last Supper. And we've read this before, let's read it again. The Last Supper, Jesus takes With his disciples, he takes this cup. We read, and in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant 
in my blood. So the situations, the Passover meal, we're familiar that the Israelites celebrated this to remember when that death angel did pass over them in Israel, when they put the blood on their door. And they celebrate. And during this meal, there's four special cups that they pass around. I mean, when you read that, sometimes you think he grabbed a cup. Oh, he just walked and grabbed a cup. He grabbed any old cup. But there were special cups passed around at special times. And the one passed right after they had eaten, the one traditionally always passed after the meal, was the third cup. And it's the cup of redemption, where they remember how God saved them, how God redeemed them, how God rescued them. And here's Jesus holding this cup of redemption that they've taken for years in this Passover service or dinner. And he says, this cup right here, the one I'm holding, redemption is poured out for you. This is the new covenant. It's in my blood. To be our mediator, it cost him his blood, his life for the new covenant. At this moment, if one in this room is not under this blood, or if anyone outside this room in Chatham or Illinois is not under the blood of Christ, then the wrath of God sits on them. The Bible says they're actually enemies of God. This is the only way through the blood of Christ where God and man are brought together. There's only place for safety and refuge is in the blood of the Lamb. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Let's move on throughout this verse to our second main point. If we throw Hebrews 9.15 back up there, we read that he's the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. Let's focus in on that word redemption. Okay, To be redeemed. That is a Greek word used here that means to buy back or to purchase back. So the idea in some of the writings, it was this. There's somebody in prison, there's somebody in jail, and somebody goes and pays a price That person is redeemed. That person is set free. So when we say we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are set free from what? Slavery. Uh, To what? Sin. Death. Jesus paid the price. He's redeemed us to set us free from sin and death. Now, what's the application of that? What's the application of being redeemed? Of being redeemed. Well, I would say the application is when, you're, when you purchase something, you own it. Is that not correct? So in essence, Jesus has purchased our freedom. He kind of owns us. So I think the basic application is just we should probably just live like that. You know, he's paid the price to release us from slavery to what? Sin. Now let's live for the glory of God. That's that's old, Mark. We're now new people in Christ. He's redeemed us. We should live like it. I I think of, let me ask you this. If I say, farmer tough, what do you think of? Paul Hunley, they say. Yes. You say, farmer tough, you think of Paul Hunley, you think of the Hunley family. The family of Hunley. I've heard him say it numerous times throughout the years when his kids are growing up. And, and this happened, didn't happen too often because they're such great kids. But if they happen to be disobedient or they happen to, to misbehave or get a little bit um, out of control 
or, or maybe just whine about something, let's say, complain, um, Paul would come right in and say, look, we don't do that. We're farmer tough. We're the Hunleys. We're farmer tough. Right? And so it means that if you are in that family, you will be farmer tough. You will be, this is who we are, act like it. You know? And so we've been redeemed by the blood of lamb back to the family of God. I think the basic application is just live like it. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the father. How does he want us to live? That's what we need to do. Worship, give thanks continuously. We should be have so much joy in our hearts every day when we think about this. We should really, the world should really be able to see a difference between us and them. We should be full of joy. Let's all smile real big. <laughs> we should be so happy all the time. Redeemed. He paid the price for our slavery to sin and the death that it brings. And this verse says, Chris, throw that up there one more time really quick, because the blood of Jesus is so powerful. It says, redemption that we receive, we know that. But also this verse is talking about redemption for the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. How powerful is the blood of Christ? How powerful that he saves every one of us. But also those under the first covenant and under the law of Moses. His death reaches retroactively back to them. Because if you remember, under the first covenant, God graciously, for those who had faith in God, that God would provide a coming Messiah under the old covenant, God graciously passed over their sins. It was not those thousands of animal sacrifices, the blood we talked about earlier. It was not that that removed sins for the people in the Old Covenant. They were only a temporary covering. Think of it this way. If all those animal sacrifices, if that blood removes sin, why did Jesus have to come? He could have stayed in heaven. He didn't have to come. If that was good enough, it wasn't good enough. It was a temporary covering, all giving us a picture of that one final sacrifice, as we mentioned, when the Son of God would shed his blood for us. His blood was so powerful that instantly, think of that, the power of his blood, instantly, immediately, old covenant folks are saved, those who had faith in him, that God would provide a Messiah. Powerful blood of Jesus. And in the Old Covenant, there were many sacrifices. In this New Covenant we're talking about today, one sacrifice. In the Old Covenant, the blood of animals was shed. The New Covenant, the blood of God's own Son was shed. In the Old Covenant, blood provided a temporary covering. In the New Covenant, Jesus' blood provides an eternal remission or putting away of sin. The Old Covenant applied to Israel only. The New Covenant applies to all who believe. And finishing out this verse, he talks about the eternal promise that this powerful blood of Christ purchased for us. The promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, we've talked about this before. In Sunday school, we talked about this before. But how valuable is eternity? If somebody's how valuable must some, if somebody's going to purchase that for you, then what they're going to do must be of immense worth. Well, in your eyes, how valuable is eternity to you? There's no price you can put on it, right? It's priceless. 
It's priceless. The power of his blood purchased that priceless gift for us and for everybody who believes. That is powerful. And, and, and we talked about before that I think sometimes as Christians, we just don't think of eternity enough. We just get wrapped up on earth. We did the demonstration the other day again in Sunday school to where we looked at this big, long timeline of eternity that stretches forever and ever and ever and ever. Never-ending eternity. And we talked about 60 years on earth. You know, like 80 years on earth. And eternity. But we focus on this so much. It's like our eyeballs. We should just have stamped on our eyeballs eternity. So everything we see, that's where our focus needs to be. It makes sense, doesn't it? Shouldn't our focus be on that instead of that? Jesus, as we read in that verse, it was his shed blood that purchases that eternity with God for us. It's his free gift when we apply it to our lives through faith. What a wonderful, what a wonderful name it is. That no matter how great... Your sin is in this room. Right? No matter how great your sin is, no matter how great somebody's rebellion is to God, where sin abounds, the grace of God just abounds even more. Right? That, that, that if somebody has never applied the blood of Jesus to their life in this room, outside of this room, if they've never applied the blood of Christ to their life, they need to know, we need to tell them that there's not a single sinful act, no matter how dark, evil, defiant, rebellious that they've done, there's not a one that a single drop of this blood, the powerful blood of Jesus, wouldn't just wash them clean, right? From their head to their toe. We people need to know that. This is what God wants. He wants you to be saved by the blood that he has provided for the total remission of sin. He wants this. Uh, there's a great passage in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. That let's read together. I love how this is phrased. It says, come now, let us reason together says the Lord. God says, come on, let's reason. Let's talk. Let's think. Let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. God knew what he had to do regarding our rebellion from the very, very, very beginning. Before he even created us, he knew the pain and the suffering the torment that Jesus, his son, would have to endure. But he created us anyway. He loves us deeply and dearly beyond what any of us can ever imagine. So as we read about the mediator of the new covenant and we think of the blood, please realize that your sins are gone in his blood. You're set free from that slavery. Your chains are gone. Your chains have hit the floor. And now through the blood of Christ, we can live for him and act like we are part of the family of God. Let's submit to his lordship in our lives and 
Let us think of every decision that it's really a decision of lordship. Every decision we make is really a decision of lordship. Who do we serve and why? Let's stand together and let's sing about this powerful blood of Jesus who's washed away our sins.